You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Welcome to Shapiro World, but it's not Shapiro World today, it's Kerner World. Shapiro World today is admirably populated by Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg. And this podcast is proudly brought to you by sharenet.co.za. And the big story over the weekend, Graham Kerner, apart from the anticipation of the election on Wednesday, is the tweet, the extraordinary tweet from one Donald J. Trump, which set the market on edge, sent it into a spin. S&P at one point down 65 points. It's rallied around about 30 points since then, but it looks like a rocky session ahead. Do you think this is just posturing? Do you think this is just some kind of idea that he'll shake up the China-America trade talks, or was he just in a bad mood? I think it's just more of the same. Doesn't I think, I think he's desperate for a, for a victory. Um, you know, although he sort of claimed the the Mueller investigation and and, and Barr testimony, you know, as, as victories, um, I think if you look at what the Democrats are eager to do with Barr, it, it was a very hollow victory. Uh, North Korea has gone wrong. You know, the Russians, um, you know, continue to to exert influence. I think, you know, the wall everywhere he looks, he's he's battling to find any sort of victory, and I think he's eager to be the strong man. And um, I think most people, you know, three days ago would have said, okay, well, you know, the, the Chinese and the Americans are going to craft a deal, probably a slightly better deal than, than Trump's advisors would like, maybe some, some conciliation on things like IP and so forth and access to markets simply because he, he needed a, a deal. And then he, you know, he go, comes out and says he wants to more than double the existing tariffs and 200 wants to step more on. So I think this is sort of more of the art of a deal and how we think we negotiate. But uh, you don't negotiate very complex, very sensitive, um, you know, bilateral trade deals and, and, and more than just trade deals, you know, you know, long term providing access to American companies to invest in China and, and, and access to the capital markets there and, and um, you know, protection of IP. You don't, you don't negotiate like this. So I think the Chinese themselves then earlier today sort of saying, well, we're not entirely sure whether Louis is actually going to be leading that 100, supposed 100 strong delegation to Washington. Yeah, so I think it's, this is the way he's always negotiated, but it doesn't work well in very, very tense, very complex situations like uh, bilateral trade deals. He doesn't understand the world, I don't think. I think he understands New York and he understands Trump Tower. He understands putting his name on golf resorts and luxury resorts around the world. But he doesn't understand China and the Middle East and going to Great Britain and meeting the Queen and walking in front of her. He just doesn't seem to understand that. And this is not going to work with President Xi. This strongman tactic is not going to work because the Chinese are very, very powerful and very, very proud as well. And there's so much protocol involved if you have to do business with China at a corporate level, at a personal level, whether it be handing the a business card out in the correct way, or whether it be negotiating trade deals, you have to do it properly. Yeah, I think I think in many ways he likes to sort of be the you know the bad boy who you know, he always promised us he was going to drain the, sh- the swamp and sort of shake things up. But I think in in international affairs and foreign affairs and, and, and trade negotiation things work differently. So I don't think it's that he uh, that he doesn't understand. I think he just doesn't care. Um, but um, I think he might have he might have gone too far with the with the Chinese with that tweet and and this is I think the point that I'm trying to make I think the Chinese are 
are looking for every opportunity they can grab to strengthen their hand in this negotiation and, you know, walking away now to threaten and by, you know, potentially threatening some some tariffs that we all know he can't slap on because that would have a massive inflationary effect and it would, you know, push the global economy probably into a recession, which he doesn't want. Remember, he's a populist. He he, he would not want that on his watch or, or attributable to him. So uh, I think the Chinese are probably reading the situation very carefully and uh, and are taking opportunities like that tweet over the weekend as an opportunity to strengthen their negotiating position. Meghan Markle is apparently in labour at the moment as we speak, Graham Kerner. Do you think the market is pregnant as well? Do you think it's going to deliver a bear market given what's happened? Or do you think this is just going to be another opportunity for the bulls to buy? And at the moment, we are 30 points better on the S&P 500 and probably 300 points better on the Dow Jones given the futures markets this morning when they woke up to yet another Trumpism. Okay, so, so Lindsay, I mean, 30 points this way or that way on the S&P doesn't excite me, frankly. Uh, we tried to look slightly further out than that. Um, if you look on a one-year view, you've still got the NASDAQ up. Uh, I'm talking rolling one-year view. You've got the NASDAQ up over 18, and the rest of the major U.S. indices up, you know, 10 to 12%. Um, if you look in, in Europe, a much more muted performance. But I think, um, you know, the Chinese market, for example, has had a, a, a wonderful rally over the last sort of six months on a one-year view, not not that inspiring. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is, I think most people are sort of saying, well, you know, the U.S. is, is seen to be in this Goldilocks phase. It's, it's not too hot that forces the Fed to act. It's not too cold. You know, the outlook is pretty favorable, but the outlook is favorable assuming nobody does anything stupid. So I, th I think on balance of arguments, the markets are, are sort of trying to get the direction for the next, you know, the next 5 or 10%. Um, I, I don't see, you know, this little pullback, let's call it about 2% on many of the global markets as the sort of screaming buying opportunity because I think we have had a, a fairly sub, substantial recovery and I think we are late cycle market um, economics. So um, I don't think this is a massive buying opportunity, but I, I also don't think we're going to be tipped into, into a bear market because I still think that the alternatives are lousy. And um, if you look in South Africa, you've seen quite a few of the small and mid-caps mid actually doing quite interesting things. And we obviously follow quite a few smaller caps, and we've seen that buying sentiment where, uh, let's say, a company like Grand Parade, which had issues a little while ago, and there was sort of a perpetual selling, suddenly you've seen that turn into, into strong buying, you've seen some of the key executives offloading shares, and the whole dynamic has shifted. So I think, I think it I, I don't think we're going to get a massive bear market. I don't think the market is, is offering great opportunities. But I think for stock selectors, there will be opportunities. And you probably want to use the weakness that, that we, we may see over the coming days and weeks, especially with the elections coming up, as, uh, as, as an opportunity to acquire good assets at good prices rather than, you know, see, see this as an opportunity to sell. But having said that, I think you've got to be very, very selective. I mean, if you look... Although our market, if you talk about the, the, the top 40 indexes, had a, an okay year, we're now up 3.6%. It's actually quite divided. Still, in spite of the pullback, resources have been the standout performer. Industrials are virtually exactly flat. Financials are down. And when you look at sort of the small caps and the mid caps, they're actually quite a bit weaker, um, as are the listed property index. So indices can be quite misleading. Um, 
Yeah, but I think, you know, we, we our view is that the election will probably go according to script, as I like to say. Yes. Um, you'll probably find an ANC election victory in the early 50s to probably the mid, maybe approaching the late 50s, which I think many people see as a, a mandate for, for Cyril Ramaphosa then to affect the changes and get the policies through that he's, I think, eager to do. And South Africa can then get on with business. So I think if we see weakness um, over the next few days, courtesy of, of what we were talking about, you know, around the trade trade tensions between the U.S. and China, we would see that as an opportunity to add good counters at, at good prices. If you go to the Daily Maverick, where they send me their email uh, twice a day, it says here, Daily Maverick, final polls show ANC slide. What happens after the elections? But then when you go to it, it doesn't really talk too much about the, uh, the ANC slide from what I've read. It says here, after South Africans finish casting their ballots on Wednesday, just what happens next can seem a little confusing. The results themselves will dictate much of the post electoral manoeuvring both on a national and provincial level so the slide i mean what are the, what is the slide I, I still haven't got a definitive answer how much does it need to slide in order for the anti-ramaposa faction to say out you go son well i think that that, that the the irony is that if anything they've probably clawed back a few percentage points um over the last year or so um, so I, I think the slide is, is attributable to the previous decade. I think most people would probably concede that. Um, you know, in terms of, of how much they're going to give back, you know, if you took what early six, 62, I think it was, to say 56, that's six percentage points. Best guess is the DA is not going to change awfully much. And the EFF will probably go from what was at 6% to probably to early teens. Um, I think that's the big shift that people are, 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 are looking to to monitor. But I think anything in the in the mid fifties would be, I think, seen to be sufficient of an endorsement for the new president. And I don't think it would give his enemies inside the party awfully much ammunition, because um, at least then you know you can you can form a government and you can carry on. The worst possible outcome, as we say, would be sub fifty percent. And, uh, you know, we coalition governments, as we've seen elsewhere in the world, that's just the worst possible outcome. What are we seeing at the moment on the markets? I mean, I'm looking at the market now as we pre-record this one hour before the JSC closes. NASPES down nearly 4%. The JSC Securities Exchange itself up nearly 4%, in the complete antithesis to the Chinese-based NASPES. But overall, this little blip because of the Trump tweet do you think it's sustainable or, as you said earlier on, 30 points to you is neither here nor there at Kerner Perspective? So I think the other thing that we need to say is, uh, you know, the market that is uh, that is off almost 2% or roughly 2%, you need to add to, to that the fact that the RAND um, is, is almost 1% weaker. So in, in dollar or euro terms, we, we're almost 3% weaker. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think for us, there are... There are pockets of value, and, and, and we're looking at, at companies like, you know, ABSA and, and City Lodge, for example, and some of the small caps like the ethos of the world where, where we feel they're trading well below fair value, and we're still comfortable to, to acquire them. In the case of something like Nasdaq or Richmond or MTN, it becomes a lot more binary. You know, MTN, of course, has got its own issues. You know, Richmond still on a one-year view, I think, is down about 12% in spite of everything, including a weaker end. And NASPAS is up on a one-year view, but that's really just because it, it came off sort of uh, early in in, uh, in 2018 after the phenomenal rally. So I think 
I think things like like Naspers are probably quite vulnerable to the sentiment around China, and maybe even somebody like Richmond is quite vulnerable to that. But uh, the broader SA market, I, I don't think is going to take its cue. As I said earlier, I think we're starting to see buyers dribbling back in, and you're starting to get the sense that people are becoming a little bit more confident about the SA incorporate story. Of course, that can all get radically unseated by you know, chaos at the polls. But um, my sense is that's not going to happen. And if anything, then South Africa will be open for business and we can actually carry on with our lives and quite possibly then, you know, make up for some of that lost time that we've had over the last decade. So I think, yeah, we, we're seeing some value in some of the local financials and some of the, 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 the locally focused um, industrials. Resources, I think you've got to treat with a degree of trepidation. As I said, they the resources index is still up about 20% on a one-year view, and that's after you know the likes of Anglo's have given back a good 40 rand from recent highs. But I think that's those recent highs were factoring in, you know, I think sustained higher or um, commodity prices like in iron ore. I'm not entirely sure in the sort of trade risk war that uh, or trade war risk scenario that 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 may pan out. So I think the, the, the performance in our market is going to come probably a, a lot more from uh, more locally focused um, stocks, South African, obviously South African um, uh, players like the likes of ShopRite, I think, which have given back massively and are looking quite good to us, and and less so from the NASPASs and the Richmonds and the index heavyweights. Okay, so you're seeing pockets of value. Simple as that, but you've got to be selective. Is that your message? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, don't worry about the 30 basis points this way or that way, you know, hmm. just try and stick to the, the narrative as difficult as it is ahead of elections and with all that's happening in the world. Graham, thank you so much for your analysis. And we'll speak again after the election. Maybe you'll be singing a different song once the election is over. Maybe something dramatic will happen, but I sense that you're probably right. Graham Kerner is from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg, and that was Shapiro World, which became Kerner World. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.